Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and today we are sharing our annual episode about the year in comedy that I taped earlier this week with Andy Levy, who co-hosts the New Abnormal podcast. Andy and I got into some of the biggest controversies and characters that dominated 2023, including how the Hassan Minhaj debacle seemingly derailed The Daily Show's search for a new host, the deeply problematic rise of TikTok sensation Matt Reif, and why we are both so obsessed with Nate Bargetsy. For some reason, it turned into a very male-centric conversation, so I also figured I'd take this opportunity to shout out my favorite stand-up special of the year, Beth Stelling's If You Didn't Want Me Then, which is streaming now on Netflix. She rules, and hopefully we can have her back on this podcast sometime in the near future. Next week, we'll be posting one of my favorite interviews from this past year, and then we will be back with a very fun new episode featuring both Roy Wood Jr. and Jordan Klepper, so please stay tuned for that. But for now, here's me with the new abnormals, Andy Levy. As per tradition, we have our The Last Laugh and New Abnormal crossover episode, and we're going to discuss the year in comedy. Yes, we are. So Matt Wilstein's here, Andy Levy's here, and I'm Jesse Cannon. I'm excited to do this. Matt, what have you cooked up for us? Well, I feel like there's there's not always a lot to talk about in a year, but somehow this year there is, even though the entertainment industry disappeared for five months with the strike. But uh, it still feels like we have a, a lot to talk about this year. I don't know, Andy, were you uh, were you affected by the strike at all, uh, emotionally, uh, logistically? No, not really. I showed up to my podcast every week as ordered. Yes, yes. <laughs> Jesse said, fuck those commies. We're putting out a show. So I was like, all right. That sounds like, that sounds like Jesse. Yes, yes. That's a no- no noted socialist uh, saying fuck those you commies. Can absolutely hear it in his voice. But uh, no, I, I mean, look, I have, you know, I have a lot of friends who are comedy writers, I guess fewer so who are actors, but, you know, obviously a lot of people that I'm friendly with were greatly affected by this. So, you know, I did everything I could do to help them, i.e. I sent out a tweet saying I supported the strikes. (laughs) It was a very weird year, I thought, for uh, late night TV with the strike, obviously, but also to me, the kind of the, the late night TV story of the year was this ongoing as of now, uh, search for a host for The Daily Show. I don't know how much you you followed this, Andy, but they spent the year outside of those months when everyone was on strike trying out a new guest host every week with big celebrities and correspondents and and all kinds of people who succeeded to, to varying degrees. I'm not sure how much like the greater world cares about who is going to host The Daily Show in this day and age, but I still care. And it's been actually pretty fascinating to see this process play out so publicly? Yeah. You know, from day one, I know I'm not alone in this. I've been sort of a just give the damn job to Roy Wood person. Yeah, I'm with you. My point is, for the sake of this country, I hope that Donald Trump gets a swift trial, but that doesn't mean he should get to use the TSA pre-check lane. But here's the good news. 
The New York investigation is just one of many into the former president, so we'll have plenty of other opportunities to get him arrested correctly. So, Georgia, got plenty more opportunities. So, state of Georgia, if you're listening, when you finally get Donald Trump in your courtroom, make sure he coughs twice. And I I mean, he is legitimately one of the funniest people on the planet. He's proven he can thrive in that sort of setup. And I thought he did a good job as host when they gave him the the sort of his part of the tryout. Because I I, look, I understand that there are personality types and there are strengths. And it may well have been that his strength was not hosting The Daily Show, even though he's incredibly good at being a correspondent and at stand-up and and just at being funny in general. But I thought he sort of shot that down and did, you know, at least a good enough job in a fill-in spot that you give the guy a shot at the job full-time. And I'm, I'm a little confused as to why that hasn't happened. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Just to give a little preview for... Uh Last Laugh listeners, we have an episode coming up in the new year that I already recorded with Roy Wood Jr. and Jordan Klepper together because they're about to go on tour together for what they're calling a series of comedic town halls, which I'm still kind of trying to figure out what that's going to be. But it was pretty interesting to talk to them about it because everyone sort of thought Roy had it in the bag. I think Jordan Klepper certainly thought that as well, even though he was sort of competing for the role as well. So it really kind of shocked everyone when, when Roy basically announced that he was stepping down as a correspondent because he didn't want to just like keep holding on and and waiting to find out. Contrary to what I think a lot of people thought when he made that announcement, he's still open to taking the job if they go that direction. I don't know that they are, um, and it seems seems like they're not, but we still don't know. You would think with them coming back after the strike, that would be basically be a no to him. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing I thought was maybe they would do like a Jost and Che type thing and Two people. Yeah, have Klepper and Roy Wood be co-hosts, because I think, you know, obviously they have great chemistry, and I think that that also would have been a good idea, and it would have been almost like a, you know, like a fresh start for a show that maybe could use a fresh start. Yeah, I could still definitely see them doing two hosts. They've they've tried out a couple of pairs already. They tried out Klepper with Leslie Jones, who actually surprised me, I think, did even better than I, I thought she, she would have on that show. She's now done a couple weeks of guest hosting. So I thought when they tried the two of them out together, that was maybe a hint that they were thinking about something like that. Huh. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think getting a woman in there is probably a priority. So I think if they did two men, I would be kind of surprised um, as great as Klepper and, and Roy would be. No, that's a fair point. And look, that may be also the reason why it wasn't just given to Roy Wood, obviously, is that they thought it was time for a female host, which is understandable and not a bad goal. Yeah, of course, that goes against the fact that they had, by all reports, basically given it to Hassan Minhaj privately before his whole controversy blew up about him exaggerating jokes on stage. My last special, I talk about how I received a letter in the mail, and when I opened the letter, white powder fell on my daughter, and we had to take her to the hospital only to find out it was not real anthrax. This, as you know, is not how it went down. And let me just say... I am sorry for embellishing the story or if anyone was worrying about me and my family. I apologize. But let me make something clear. A letter with white powder was sent to my apartment in February of 2019. I opened it in the kitchen. Powder fell on the table and my daughter was just a few feet away. After 10 seconds of freaking out, I realized it was not anthrax and that someone was fucking with me. 
And we've talked a lot about that on, on my podcast with various people. Um, and he was actually a guest this past year talking about that special that he was accused of making a lot of stuff up in. I was pretty shocked by how that all went down, um, both you know the fact that that story came out and the fact that he apparently had the job taken away from him because of it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I also just saw that he's on tour and is now actually talking about it on stage. Jason Zinneman from the New York Times just uh, I saw wrote that, up yeah. his report from a show in New York. That was pretty interesting to see because I had previously just watched Hassan on Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, sort of curious to see if they would even touch on it at all, which the fact that it was that show, I did not I was expect say. much. But they really ignored it to like a kind of ridiculous degree, I thought. So I'm actually kind of pleased to hear that Hassan is talking about it on stage, even if I don't necessarily fully agree with his take on it. But at least he's addressing it and, and sort of working through it, um, as opposed to just pretending like it never happened, which seems kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I don't know. I don't know if comedy people are split on this or not. I feel like at least on Twitter, a a lot of comedy people were defending him. And I actually thought a lot of the defenses were ridiculous. And yeah. I, I saw someone kept comparing him, you know, or people kept comparing him to Anthony Jeselnik, who just makes up ridiculous stories about his family as part of his act. Yeah, or being like, why is well, he allowed to do this, but Hassan isn't? To me, they're two completely separate things. And first of all, Jeselnik is playing a character. But even if he's, right. even if he's not, there's no quote-unquote greater truth behind the things that he makes up about his family. They're vehicles to get to a punchline. And in Hassan's case, I mean, it was pretty clear that the point of the stuff that he exaggerated, or in some cases it appears made up, you know, out of whole cloth, or they happened to someone else and he took ownership of that. I mean, there was a point. He was making up stories, but the stories had a point. To me, that's wholly different than a comedian. You know, I don't think you have to have seen a, an actual chick and cross a road to make a joke about it. But that's not what he was doing. I sort of was taken aback at the fact that he made up a lot of that stuff or, again, exaggerated or took someone else's story as his own. And look, I, I think he'll be fine, and I think he should be fine. I don't I don't think he should be, I'm at the point where I hate the word canceled, but I'll use it, I don't yeah. think he should be canceled and banished forever. No, I don't think he will be. But no. he did lose a pretty big opportunity, yes. which I, maybe yeah. was justified because that job in particular is such a mm -hmm. trusted institution. I I mean, that's the whole thing with Jon Stewart, that he was, you know, the most trusted man on television, even including all of the actual news anchors. Yeah. And that was the thing that used to bother me. I mean, Stewart is, you know, a genius, but I did used to get bothered by his, as it was shorthanded to the clown nose on, clown nose off sort right. of attitude where he, you, someone would say something, he'd say, oh, I'm just a comedian. And it's like, no, you're not just a comedian, you know, not in this role. And that's sort of how I, I guess, similar to how I feel about Hassan. If, if you're telling stories that have to do with the treatment of Muslims in this country, and again, that are aimed at getting at greater truths than than just a punchline. I think you have a different obligation than a comedian who's making up a story about how his dad is an alcoholic because he's got a funny punchline that only works if his dad is an alcoholic. Or when a comedian says, I was in Alabama last week and they, and no, you weren't. But it was actually uh, last year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But who cares? Yeah. You're just, you're just trying to get a laugh in that case. So anyway, yeah, it's a fair point that maybe the host of The Daily Show needs to be above stuff like that because they are more than just a, a just a quote unquote comedian. The reaction that I have heard a lot from comedians is like, basically, why are we fact checking comedy is sort of like the easy response. But yeah, I, I think the, the thing that really got me was 
reading the New Yorker article, they mentioned the interview that he did with me on my podcast, uh, Hassan, where he just repeated the stories and elaborated on them as if they had really happened to them, in particular one about um, something that he thought was anthrax falling out of an envelope onto his daughter. I asked him, you know, how did that real experience, you know, make you feel? And he didn't say, oh, well, it was, it actually happened like this, but I talked about it in this way on the special. He just kept pretending like it really happened to the point where I'm wondering whether he convinced himself that it really happened. No, exactly. And and again, like, like, that's the point is that a story like a horrific story like that, that's not a joke. You're whatever the opposite of stolen valor is, you know, but you're pretending something happened to you. That was, that is a horrible thing that actually happened to someone else. And in effect, you're taking someone else's story away from them of an actual, you know, horrific thing that happened to them and claiming it as your own. And it's not fact checking jokes at that point. I got really annoyed by a lot of that on Twitter. I sort of kept my mouth shut because it didn't seem worth it, but it really annoyed me. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Anthony Jeselnik, and um, you just shared with me before this uh, conversation a, a clip that I hadn't seen of Anthony Jeselnik, who's a comedian who I love. I'm talking about the other sort of biggest figure in comedy this year, unfortunately, Matt Reif. Can you share uh, your reaction to that clip? Well, it's funny. Matt Reif is someone I had never heard of. And I I don't know if it was, I guess it wasn't during lockdown. It must have been later than that. But my, my TikTok feed is at this point mostly comedy bits and some sports and whatever. And so I got introduced to Matt Reif through his ubiquitous... Yeah, you can't avoid him if you're No, there. there was no way. Uh, it was just his ubiquitous crowd work videos. And I remember at first thinking, all right, you know, he's not unfunny. And then after a while, <laughs> I, I had to actually... I don't remember if I muted or blocked. Not because of anything in particular he said. It's just like, man, I'm tired of seeing this guy do crowd work. Yeah. You have to tell TikTok, okay, I've had enough. Yeah, exactly. Like scrolling past it at the speed of light wasn't enough for the algorithm for some reason. <laughs> you know, and then the whole controversy erupted and the sort of nasty joke he made about the waitress. The joke that kind of made light or advocated domestic violence. Maybe this is a weird thought. I don't know. But my first thought when I read that was, you know what, that sounds like something a dude would say at a table of other dudes in a restaurant. And it's not a nice joke. And obviously, domestic violence has no funny component about it whatsoever. But the fact is, if he had just left it at that, nobody would have ever known about it. But he decided he should go on stage and tell this joke. Yeah, and open his Netflix special with it, which is his biggest moment, his biggest platform yet. Yeah, and a lot of this, I think, is just, I don't know if it's a generational difference, at the risk of sounding like a kids today thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to worry we're sounding like that as well. No, I know, but I think it's just a fact that there's a generational difference between, in terms of what what is appropriate or okay, or you can get away with it in a private conversation with your buddies, and what needs to be broadcast out to the world, at least for my generation, there is. And I wonder, I think maybe that there's no difference for a lot of Gen Zers between what they experience or what happens to them around their friends and what they're going to broadcast to the world. And I'm not even taking a side on that. I'm just saying, I think it is a generational difference. A lot of it because we didn't grow up with the ability to do what Matt Reif and every other Gen Zer, you know, can do in terms of just jumping on social media and broadcasting it. So that was like my first thought when I read it. And then, you know, Jeselnik, you mentioned that clip I brought up. I'm happy for Matt Reif and his career. I am surprised by the special. And I maybe saw five minutes of it. It's not my thing. It's not for me. His audience was like, you know, young girls and middle-aged girls and older girls. 
And uh, but what, what's fascinating to me is in this special, he's like, no, I'm for guys now. This special's for guys. And it's clearly like he's, I've never seen someone so try to piss off their, their existing audience to try to grasp at what he thinks should be a comedian's audience. The Shane Gillis fans of the world are not going to be like, oh, a domestic violence joke. This guy's for me too. But he's so trying to like, no, I'm for guys now. I'm a real comic for dudes. It gives me a little bit of a feeling of Iggy Azalea trying to freestyle. And people who are mad at Matt Reif, they're like, oh, he's just like, he just goes to the gym. Hey, get your fat ass to the gym then. If you got it, flaunt it. I saw a clip of him on TikTok, which is the one I sent to you, and someone asked him about Matt Reif, and he was like, look, I'm not Matt Reif's audience. Matt Reif's audience is girls and slightly older girls and older <laughs> girls. And it was really funny. And, and it, you know, it's also true. But he also said something interesting where he said, he said he's never seen a comedian sort of tell his audience you're not the audience I want the way Matt Reif seems to be doing and, and, and in this new special trying to be like a dude's comic. Yeah, I mean, he said as much in, in interviews. He's talked to, I think, Variety or, or somewhere saying, you know, yeah, I felt like my audience was too female heavy and I want to be a, a comedian for men now. So I guess maybe the domestic violence joke was a deliberate attempt to do that, which is kind of even sicker. Yeah, and, and really sad. Sad if A, he thinks that's the way that you connect to men in comedy and B, even sadder, if he's actually right <laughs> yes so that is very true yeah well i don't know I, we'll see if if 2024 continues to be the year of matt rife but i can only hope that something changes <laughs> i brought this up and we were chatting a little bit about it i want to talk about nate bargatze yeah one day our proud nation will measure weights in pounds and that 2,000 pounds shall be called a ton <laughs> And what would 1,000 pounds be called, sir? Nothing. Because <laughs> we will have no word for that. Seems like we should have a word for 1,000 pounds, sir. And yet we won't. <laughs> because we are free men. And we will be free to measure liquids in liters and milliliters. But not all liquids, only soda, wine, and alcohol. <laughs> Only those, sir. Yes. Because for milk and paint, we will use gallons, pints, and quarts, God will. Okay. How many liters are in a gallon, sir? Nobody knows. He is someone who I did discover during lockdown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he got pretty big over the last few years. Yeah, and I uh, discovered him also on TikTok. And I was like, hey, this guy's really funny. And I discovered that he had a bunch of specials on Netflix. And I watched them all and thought they were great. And just thought, you know, this guy just... Like, in addition to being unbelievably funny, he seems like the kind of guy you would just want to hang out with. Like, he seems like he, yeah. he would be fun to be around. And he's just, he's like aggressively unaggressive. He's as non-political as you can possibly be. He sort of, to me, stands in contrast to a lot of what we're seeing now, where it's the way that a lot of comedians have found to, to get ahead now is to, you know, try to be shocking and mean and you can't cancel me and I'm going to say what I want. I'm a truth teller. And he just gets up there and tells just hysterically funny jokes and stories. And I'm really glad to see that he has completely sort of, you know, blown up and was hosting SNL. Yeah. Because look, I was not anywhere near the first person to discover him. I, by, by the time I did, 
he'd already had several Netflix specials and people knew who he was. But when I would bring his name up to people, they'd be like, no, I haven't heard of him. And I don't think that's the case now. Yeah, I think maybe he's finally turned a corner in that sense. Um, he's been he's been out there working for so long. But yeah, it's, it, just some, it does seem like this was the year that he really blew up. The SNL thing was just, I was so impressed by his performance hosting that show. I think in general, that show has been pretty awful this past year and you know i'm like a masochist i guess so i continue to watch it (laughs) or i'm just obsessed enough that i i'll never stop but i thought his episode was exceptional from the monologue to you know of course when you have a great stand-up comedian the monologue is usually great right but he was so good at the sketches and i couldn't really believe it because i don't really think he's ever acted before and he was yeah he was it was really great that the george washington oh my god uh, one that was for so anyone good who's, who's seen it really stood out i think uh and the and the top chef one was actually really funny as well where they had padma lakshmi come out but both of those really played into his strengths and the, i mean it was impressive how well the writers were able to write for him i think he may have brought some people with him as well um and he obviously did some writing but but yeah he was he was so great i can confirm since i i have had the pleasure of uh hanging out with him and talking with him now three times for the last laugh that he is as genuinely nice and down to earth and and easy to talk to as you would imagine. Yeah, that's great to hear. And I I sort of had that impression just from seeing how many other comedians were hyping up his SNL appearance. And yeah, look, that's the only episode of SNL that I watched start to finish this year. And it was solely because I like him so much. And I was realizing also one of the reasons I I think he's very funny is a lot of the jokes he tells are at his own expense. And Mm -hmm. he he talks about how sort of, I, I mean, he, he calls himself, you know, kind of stupid or dumb or simple or whatever. Yeah. And I think that feels like a lost art. And that gets back to really the comedians who are trying so hard to be edgy and are trying so hard to be, I'll say anything, I'm a truth teller. A lot of those people, and I think you also see this when, when people on the right try to do comedy a lot, they cannot be self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. To me, it's really hard to be very funny if you can't be self-deprecating, if you can't make some of the jokes about yourself. And Bargetti will tell a story, and the story is, on the surface, it's about his wife doing something crazy. But if you actually listen to the joke, his wife is actually doing the right thing. And what's crazy is that he doesn't understand that. And that's part of the yeah. joke. And it, I don't want to oversell it and say it makes, you know, it turns it into some kind of uh, a huge intellectual exercise. But it makes the joke more interesting and, to me, makes it funnier anyway yeah well let's hope for more nate bargazzi and less matt rife in 2024 (laughs) amen to that man yeah planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.